welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. As I was uh, as I was getting ready for this this morning, though, I I realized that I, could, I was going to have to break this message up into two, and the, the downside of that for me was that means I get to sit in this anger with a close up study for a little bit longer than I would like to. I was very much looking forward to being uh, away from this, but but the other thing that that kind of weighs on my heart, and I think it always weighs on my heart, is is the significance of the opportunity. The privilege it is to to sit here and or to stand here, I guess, and and teach you guys. Because in in James chapter three and verse one, the apostle there writes, "Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will in, we will incur a stricter judgment." Those are ominous words and, and kind of scary if you think about it. Because what what James is basically saying is that what I teach doesn't just impact me; it impacts those who hear what I teach. And on top of that. Not only am I, am I, I'm not trying to share my opinion, I'm trying to share what I believe God's opinion is, what God's saying, which means I'm now representing God in his gospel. And so if I get it wrong, then that's, that comes with an, a, a downside, a, a big downside to that in terms of how it impacts the, the rest of you guys as well as just not myself. So we're going to pray and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher here this morning again as we look at this, this topic of anger. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much to know that you are the teacher and that you're here and you're with us and that we can, we can rely upon you and we can trust you and, and you want to do something special this morning. And so we're looking forward to what it is you're going to do, how it is that you're going to impact us. And I pray, Father, that we will leave here with a, not just a better understanding of anger, but understanding how we can find victory over that anger. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we began our study on anger last week, and uh, we, we started by noting that emotions are neither good nor bad. And that's really important to understand, that there's not a, a negative emotion and a positive emotion. They just are. And that a better way to think about emotions is really to think of them as either light or heavy. Because it's, it's easy to carry light emotions, emotions like joy and peace and, and contentment and, and satisfaction. Those are, those are easy things to carry. We're all in, we all enjoy when we experience those things. But things like grief and sadness and disappointment and anxiety and, yes, even anger, those are heavier to carry. They're not so easy to go through life with those things. And, and, and they have this burdensome nature to them. And, and while we'd much prefer not to have them, they're not wrong to have them in any way. In fact, there are times where those, those kinds of emotions are not only appropriate but actually necessary, particularly, I think, when it comes to anger. So we're going to read our passage here briefly, and then we're going to review the, the four commands that we saw last week in there just to kind of remind ourselves. But Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul writes this. He says, be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Notice what the first command is. What's the first command? Shout it out. Be angry. 
It was a command we saw that. It wasn't just a suggestion. And, and, and I noted last time that there was one translation that sort of lost this, and it says, when you're angry. That's not what it's saying. There's an actual command here to be angry. And, and we notice how, how important that is that Paul gives that command, especially, especially in a church that has done a really poor job around this topic of anger. Typically, what's happened and what we've heard in churches, the answer is stop it. Stop it. Don't, don't allow yourself to be angry except because good Christians just don't get angry for very long. So, so don't be angry. And yet Paul here, he gives us his command that tells us that when you begin to feel that anger, don't shut it down. Allow yourself to feel that anger. Because there are things in this world that ought to cause us to feel angry. I mean, think about down the road in Toronto. We've, we've experienced a, a huge spike in gang violence. That stuff is supposed to make us angry. And, and then think about the number of unborn babies that are killed merely because they're seen as an inconvenience. Or, or children that are abused by their, by their authority figures, by parents, by grandparents, by uncles, and by teachers, and by pastors, by other leaders in their community. People who are supposed to protect them end up hurting them. These are things we ought to be angry about. And, and if we just ignore that anger, we don't allow that anger to bring good, positive change to our lives. And so what we're to do when we experience that anger is we're to, we're to try to figure out why is it that I'm experiencing this anger? What's going on so that we can bring change? So we need to understand the source of the anger, which we're going to look at this morning. But the second command that Paul gives us is to not sin out of that anger. And, and this tells us two things. Number one, it tells us there's a difference between the emotion of anger and the expression of anger. And that's what's really important. He says, while it's okay to feel that anger, don't express that anger in a sinful way, in an uncontrolled way, or, or maybe more appropriately, in a flesh-controlled way. So here's some examples of flesh-controlled anger. We, we think of things like physical violence. And we see this in homes, uh, you know, where children are beaten or maybe one spouse attacks the other spouse. And it's not only men on women. There are men, men who are being abused by their, by their wives as well. It may include slapping or, or, or physical punishment that's beyond what's appropriate. It might be intimidation. It might even be things that are, are larger scale, which is like international terrorism, like 9-11, or even some of the domestic terrorism that we've seen where last year a man rented a van to run down as many women as he could because he couldn't sleep with them. And there are words. I grew up with this phrase, finish it, if you remember it, sticks and stones may, but words will never hurt me. How true is that? It's not true. It's, it's not that words always will hurt you. They don't have to hurt you, but they can be devastating to us. And, and we have to understand that in Proverbs 18.21, the writer there says that life and death is in the tongue. That our words, they, they will always offer one of two things, life or death. They will either encourage, they will build up, they will support, or they will tear down and they will destroy. And many people still hear the words of what a, a, a father or a mother or a friend or, or an ex-girlfriend, boyfriend has said to them, and they can remember it over and over, even to this day, many years later. It may be through a nonverbal, meaning uh, through a look, through, through our actions, maybe withdrawing in order to punish someone else, to control them. It might be blaming others. And then a big one is depression. 
See, depression is basically it's anger turned inward. Either, either I bury the anger because I don't know what to do with it, or I'm the one that I'm angry at, and so I explode on myself internally. And what that ends up doing is it just causes so much damage, so much damage to ourselves. And this anger, this expression could be volcanic, it could be large, it could be small. It's just all going to have varying effects, but to the, same, to the same end, which is basically eating away at ourselves. Eating away at our soul as it deforms it. Eating away at our concept of ourself for others or God. But there might even be a physical toll to all this. Because our, our body begins to release all these toxins because it doesn't know what to do with the anger. And, and so we begin to feel the tightness in our shoulders and our neck. It may produce some ulcers. It might even begin to just release so many toxins into your bloodstream that you just basically have this general ache within you, no matter what's happening. Or maybe you just begin to prematurely age as a result of it. So we can see the impact that anger has on us. And so what we want to do is we understand how do we overcome it. And the answer really is understanding the cross. Again, we're not trying to stifle the emotion of anger. We're trying to understand how do I not express that anger in a sinful way, in, an, in a flesh-controlled way. And we saw that the cross allows us to do it because at the cross, the old self, the old you was crucified with Christ. The angry person that needs to control through anger died and no longer lives. You're now a new person. And a new person that can express that anger in a healthy way, in a Holy Spirit-controlled way. And so because of the cross and Jesus now living inside of us, we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to put to death the desires of the flesh. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit to overcome that desire to go and lash out, to scream, to be violent with someone else, trusting that he will show us a different way so that we can respond in love, so that we can speak truth in love. And this may include that we still confront a loved one, but we do so in a very different way. We don't do it in an attacking way. We don't do it in a controlling way. We do it in a way that is in their best interest. So it may include some difficult words, but they're delivered with gentleness they're, they're delivered with kindness. They're delivered with a sense of this is what's in this other person's best interest. And they're delivered with meekness. And remember, what does meekness mean? Meekness is not weakness. What's meekness? Strength under control. And that's what we get to do. We get to offer the Holy Spirit strength, but under control now. And, and I recognize that may sound simple. And it sounds simple, but it's not simplistic. It's, it's not easy to apply because the reality is the intensity of the emotions shoot up so quickly when we get angry. And we feel so justified and so right in that moment because as the Proverbs say, there is a way that seems right unto man, but it's the way of destruction. And that's what we have to understand is that, that this anger that is uncontrolled just brings so much destruction to those around us and even to our own self. And so it's really helpful to be able to recognize that and not give in to it. And, and this is where I think it's so helpful to have others around us to protect us. We, we touched on this really briefly last time about having other people to recognize that anger, to recognize what's going on within us, and then to be able to say in a way to, to, to get our attention that that's, what, that's what's happening. To, to say something to us in a way that, that we don't feel threatened and controlled by them, but that we're, we're trusting that they're actually doing something to look after us. 
And so, so in my house, we've, we have this phrase that, that Joy will often use with me. And it's this phrase that I'm, I, she says, I think you're listening to Jester. And we've, we've named the flesh Jester based off a book that we like called No Mercy. And so that little phrase that she says, I think you're listening to Jester, is a way to bring me back to reality, to kind of snap me back to the moment. Because what's happened is, is the flesh has riled up all those emotions and it's, it's just whispering to me and it's speaking to me and it sounds so good and it's leading me down a path. And that little phrase, I think you're listening to Jester, can snap me back and say, wait a minute, where am I? And, and I know when she's saying it, and this is what's so important, is that I know she's not trying to play me. She's not trying to control me with it. She's not trying to manipulate me. She's not trying to win the argument. She's actually trying to look out for me. And now will I trust that? Will I allow her to do that? And that's what I need. I need to let her protect me in those moments and for me to protect her in those moments. And that's why I think it's so helpful to have those around us to protect us in those moments. The third command that Paul gave us was to not let the sun go down on our anger. And we simply said here that, that this was not that you, you have to solve it before midnight or before the sun, sun sets. Really what it is is just don't ignore it. You need to deal with it at some point because if you don't, it will begin to fester and it gets worse, which leads to the fin final command that he gave us, which is don't give the devil an opportunity or a foothold. See, what happens is, is if we don't deal with that anger or we express it in an unhealthy, flesh-controlled way, we provide the devil an opportunity now to cause destruction, not just in those around us, but in our own soul now. It's like giving him a beachhead to attack us. But what about when, when something repeatedly causes us anger? The same, same situation, the same event, or the, the same thing. What do, we, what do we do in those moments? You see, that, that applying the cross is helpful in the, in the exact moment, but... But when I consistently experience anger, it's trying to tell me that there's something else going on. I remember when I first started counseling and I was meeting with people, every so often the, the, the person I was talking with would say something or, or recount a story, and I would, I would experience a blind rage just for a brief half second. And, and I'm, I say a blind rage because I would actually just feel like my eyes went black for a second. Can anyone else relate to that? Anyone, or am I the only one? Sheila, do you want to come up here and do a little testimony? No, okay. So, so here's the thing. It, 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 would just, it would happen over and over again. And, and, and what God was telling me is that something's happening here. And I, what I did is when I had some time, I revisited and started to notice a pattern. That something was similar in each occasion, and that was where God was wanting to do some work in me. And so that's where it can be really helpful to recognize where this anger, what's happening, so that we can find a way to, to figure out what God's wanting to do so we can experience greater freedom. So we're going to look at two this morning and the rest next time. But starting this morning, we're going to look at the first one we're going to look at is the source of, of anger comes from fear or shame or insecurity. And, and this is the one that I probably struggle with the most because of how much shame has, has dominated the, the voice in my head. It, it, basically what it is is that when, when something happens that, that, that leaves me feeling that shame, I feel embarrassed, I feel exposed, I feel that someone's, someone's pointing out some failure in me and that I, I'm, I'm struggling with already feeling like a giant failure, and so I'm feeling incredibly insecure, 
incredibly fearful because of all that shame and insecurity. And so now what ends up happening is his anger rises up for two things. One, one is just sort of an expression of my, of my shame. Uh, I got all this extra adrenaline because of the shame, and it's got to come out some way. And so I'll come out in anger, and I'll just, it will, it will, I'll just blow up because it, it also catches me so off guard. Let me, let me tell a story from my life about when this happened, and it's, it's not really a, a proud moment all the way around for me, but when I was, when I was doing my test uh, for my driver's license for the first time, and I say for my first time because I failed my first time, and, and so here I was, the, the, the guy who was an automotive engineer or wanting to become an automotive engineer and all into cars and loving cars and working on cars, and I fail my driver's license. And I still remember why. I mean, I was, I was coming up to a, to a turn and I was a, at a stop sign. And, and so I stopped and it was on a course where everyone on the course was being examined. And, and so I saw, I looked to my left and I saw a, a driver, I won't say gender, but she didn't, she had her right turn signal on. And so I, I saw the right turn signal and I thought, well, you know, the, the driver, uh, the, you know, she's going to turn right. And, and so I didn't do anything. I just ignored her. And then I began to pull out into the intersection until the instructor or the examiner beside me slammed on the extra brake pedal as this ungendered driver drove by. And I, I knew in that moment I failed. It didn't matter that I nailed everything else. It didn't matter I parallel parked perfectly and everything else was right. That one moment was enough to fail me. And I felt so much shame, so much anger at myself. You idiot, you stupid. How did you not see it? What were you thinking? On and on and on it went. And so I remember going home and, and I punched the wall amidst my tears, just so angry. Now, fortunately, I, I didn't break my hand as others have in that moment. But I don't remember the wall doing so well after that. But, but it was just my way of, of expressing the anger. But it also became a way to protect myself. It kept everyone at a safe distance. No one was about to make any jokes about me failing because they saw that anger and they didn't want to experience the wrath as a result of that. So what do, we, what do we do in that moment then? What's, what's our response when we're experiencing this, this f- shame-fueled anger? And I think the answer is, is, is going back to remembering who Jesus is and how much he loves us. I mean, how, how beautiful that song that we sang right before I got up here, that I'm loved. There's no disappointment in his eyes. There's no shame there's no anger. There's no frustration with Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you did it with or how many times you've done it. He's just there to love on us. He's there to accept us. And, and this, this love of God is what drives shame away. It's the antidote to shame. always is. Now, it's interesting. Whenever I talk to people with the love of God, I, I sometimes see in their eyes the response that basically says, I already know God loves me. So what do you, this isn't new information. This doesn't help me. I already know he loves me. And I, and I think in that moment that the reality is you have no idea. You really have no idea how much God loves you. Because here's the thing. 
How does a finite mind understand an infinite love? It's not possible. It's never going to happen where you fully understand and appreciate God's love because it's, it's always bigger. It's bigger than you can ever imagine. And it's that love that we need in the moment. And here's the other thing. The love of God is something that you experience more than you know about. Trying to, to know about the love of God is the equivalent of trying to touch either end of the universe with your hands or, or trying to gather up the ocean in your hands. It's just not possible. It's, there's no way you can do it. Instead, the love of God is something you experience in the moment. I, um, I, I remember a few years back, uh, I was invited to go and preach at a church down in Barbados. I don't know if Steve and Marie are here. Stephen Marie here? No. They, they invited me to, to go down and preach to the church in Barbados, and I got to take joy with me. And, and it was a cool moment to be down there and, and, and preaching in this, this warm, tropical country. And we got to stay a couple days afterwards in a hotel and right near the beach. And, and Barbados is a beautiful island, but depends on what side of the island you're on will depend on the beach conditions. So if you're on the east side of the island, there's this prevailing wind that has these massive waves that if you go into the water, you're gone. That's, that's just game over. If you're on the west side of the island, there's no waves. It's just glass. It's, it's where all the celebrities have their homes and estates. But well, we are on the southern part of the island. And the southern part of the island still has a wind and waves, but they're enough for you to go in. You have to be careful, but you're not going to get swept aside by the riptide. And so Joy and I were there, and we would just watch the waves and be impressed by how beautiful these powerful waves were. And we'd be like, oh, look at that one, as it would crash down on itself. And if you missed it, it was okay, because there'd be another one 30 seconds later. And so we just sat there, and we watched it. But we didn't just only sit on the beach. At some point, we actually went in, and we played in the water. And we'd throw ourselves, like we were seven years old again, into the waves and splash around and had a great time. And that's what the love of God is. It's something that you and I enter into and experience and just enjoy to splash around with more than trying to intellectually understand. <clears throat> and in doing so, in, in splashing around in God's love, that shame disappears. Because how can you feel shame when you're that loved? It's not possible. All right, the next one we're going to look at is this idea of blocked goals as a source of anger. And I, I think this one's probably the most common one that we struggle with, for most people at least. And uh, it, next to the feeling that anger brings with shame, this is the one I kind of struggle with the most. And so if you're not sure what that means, well, think about when you're driving in traffic and the car in front of you is going about 15 kilometers per hour under the speed limit and you're already late. Or, or think about when you're just waiting in a line. Or when, um, when, you're, when you're shopping on a you know, Black Friday or some you know, Boxing Day and the stores are crowded. Or when you're just shopping at Costco in general, really. Uh, or, or for many guys, just shopping in general. Never mind that. Um, or, or think about this one when, when you have children, little children who won't listen to you at bedtime. And, and, and think that, that hitting their sister with a broom handle is okay. 
because she stuck her tongue out at him. So it makes sense, right? So, so now you're dealing with that. Think about those things. You have a blocked goal in that what you want to see happen, what you want to accomplish isn't happening. That something's getting in the way of it. And, and that might be a person, but, but it may not even be a person, right? And so we're experiencing all kinds of blocked goals. Some, some of the blocked goals might even just be the disappointments we experience in our life. Or the times where we just feel out of control and don't feel safe anymore. So, so when it happens now is we look to people to control back. People who we can blame. People who we can pressure to make the change in order for us to be okay. So this might happen in, in terms of, I've seen it between spouses. Where they, there's a belief that one spouse isn't behaving right, isn't doing enough, isn't helping out enough. Or maybe it's toward a boss. Peter, you need to be quiet right now. Uh, maybe it's toward a landlord. Uh, maybe it's towards the government. Maybe it's towards God. And it may not even be a person. For example, how many people are mad at COVID right now? Right? How it's disrupted our lives, all the, the new protocols and wearing masks and social distancing and having to walk certain ways in a grocery store having arrows and having to exit and enter on certain sides, that drives me crazy because I feel like they're treating me like a child. And, and so those type of things just, just drive me batty. You know, not being able to see your parents or grandparents um, <clears throat> and then all the bureaucracy that is applied that just doesn't make sense but is done because they have to be seen to be doing something. It's just all that stuff just is a block goal that will cause this anger to rise up inside of us. So, <clears throat> so what's our response then in those moments? Well, see, what happens is we believe that we're justified in our anger and that if we apply just enough pressure, that that was going to unblock our goal. And, and so maybe we honk our horn. Maybe we scream at that driver. Maybe we, maybe we speed up and ride their tail. Maybe we shout it and rip into our spouse or, or someone else. Maybe we write letters to the editor. I, I know that I am an old man when I start writing letters to the editor. So that's sort of my, my limit right now. Um, but then there's times where you're just completely out of control. And there's nothing you can do. And so in those moments now, this, this block goal feels like an 800-pound gorilla just sitting on your chest. Just, just knocking all the, the air and wind out of your sails. Just raising all the stress levels that you're going through. So what do we do in these situations? Because again, there's a way that is not flesh controlled. And I think there's two things we do. One, number one, is we accept the reality that we're out of control. We accept the reality we're out of control. Because the reality is we're never in control, but we're not supposed to be. That only God's the one in control. And we need to realize that we're not. And it, it sounds simple, but it's such a big step. It's such a big step. Because it leads us to the next one, which is then surrendering to the one who is in control. Surrendering to that moment to God and the outcome that may or may not happen. 
Now, I want to have a quick word on this word surrender because I've, I have many friends that, that really don't like this word. In fact, they would, they would believe that it's, it's an inappropriate word because of what it conveys. And the thinking is that the word surrender is what you would use between two opposing armies or two opposing forces, and there's a war going on, and when you surrender, you're, a, you're giving in to the other side. You're giving in to your enemy. And so this idea of surrendering to God, they say, is not good because we're not at war with God anymore. And, and I would agree with them on that case because that would cause a very, very perverse concept of God, except, except I don't think that's the only word for, or meaning for the word surrender. I, I think surrender can basically mean to hand over. And I think that's, what, that's how I use the word surrender. That's what I like, this idea of handing over, entrusting to God what I'm trying to control, what I'm trying to make happen. So I think of it this way. I think of it like a little child who has a jar that they're trying to open, but they can't open it. It's just they're not strong enough for it. And so what do they need to do with that little jar? They need to hand it over to their daddy. They need to surrender the jar over to their daddy so their daddy can open the jar and allow them to enjoy what's inside of it. And so that's what this idea is, that surrender is basically us handing it over to our our heavenly daddy and allowing his strength and his power in that moment to, to take precedence. So let me give you a simple example. You're stuck in traffic, and you're late. And so surrender or trust in this case here means simply just talking to God about what's going on. God, you know we're late. So God, if you don't, if you don't want us to be late, you're going to have to find a way for that not to happen. But if you don't, and we end up being late, then you're going to have to find a way to make it okay. You're going to have to give me the words to speak to that person about why I'm late, even if I'm late because of my own reasons, not just because of traffic. But also, Lord, you're going to have to give me the patience right now. I'm going to have to trust your patience while I sit in this traffic. And so in that moment, we're, we're talking to God, we're listening to God, but we're also then turning to God for his strength and his power for whatever you need in that moment. Things like patience or peace or love for all the other drivers to the point where you might actually let someone cut inside, cut in front of you, because that's what Jesus says for you to do in that moment. That's a simple illustration. What about a little, a little bit more difficult one? What about with parenting? And, and I don't have a, really a specific example of parenting because the reality is parenting is just hard in general at times. And, and it's especially tough when, when your children are not listening to you and they're, and they're acting like the spouse's side of the family at that moment, right? Amen? Amen. Not your side, but your spouse's side. So how do we respond with actions that, you know, when, when they're driving up the wall, how do, you, how do you respond in love and kindness in that moment? Well, it's the same thing. We talk to Jesus. We say, Jesus, my little child here, not so cute baby anymore, driving me batty. What do we say to them? What do we do? How do we respond? Lord, that's going to take a lot of patience, a lot of peace. Because right now, I'm tempted to throw him out the window. So that's my plan. What's your plan, Jesus? And we talk to him about it. And then he gives us the strength and the wisdom as to how we proceed. And then we trust that. And we move forward in that. 
And that doesn't mean that you don't, you don't raise your voice. It doesn't mean you don't speak with authority towards them. It doesn't mean that you don't give them consequences and you don't discipline them. In fact, chances are that's what you need to do in the moment. But who tells you how to do it? It's Jesus is. And he's given you the wisdom and the insight and the understanding to do it. All he's saying is, will you listen to me? It's what, what Robin preached a few weeks back. Wasn't that so good? Just sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. Opposed to sitting at the feet of the flesh and listening to the flesh. And that's what we're doing in this moment. We're sitting at Jesus' feet and we're listening to him and then trusting him to show us. And you're right, it's hard. It's, it's not easy to do. It's so hard, and you're going to fail at times. In fact, I think partly this is why, why God designed parents to be two, uh, because that way you can tag team, where one is starting to reach their limit, and then they can tag, and the other one can step in and, again, protect not just the kids, but protect the other parent as well. But remember, when you screw up, because it's not an if, when you screw up, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus isn't sitting there thinking, I don't know, we're, I think we're going to have to make a change here. This isn't working. And we're going to have to remove you out of the equation. That's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, well, just trust me on this one. I know it's hard. I know it's not going the way you wanted. But will you trust me and see what I'm going to do? Here's a hard one, though. What do you do when the person you're angry at, the person who's blocked your goals, is the one that we're supposed to trust? What do you do when, when God's the one that's blocking your goals, where you've handed him the jar? He said, Daddy, open my jar. Unblock my goal. And he doesn't. Instead, he takes the jar and he just puts it on the shelf. What, what do we do then? Because, see, it's, it's not just that our goal is blocked at this point. It's, it's permanently blocked. It's off the table. And, and God's not doing things the way I think he should. He, he's not healing the person as quickly as I want him to, or maybe he's just not healing them at all. He hasn't changed the person that is causing me so much grief. He's, he's just letting things run wild. Doesn't he care? Doesn't he know what I'm going through? Doesn't he know what I'm suffering? If he loved me, wouldn't he do this. What do we do at this point? And I think if we're honest, everybody at some point has been let down by God in this way. At some point, God has disappointed them because he didn't come through the way he expected they would or he would. So how do you trust someone that you're angry at? Because it's, it's very hard. It's so hard to trust God when the disappointments are connected to the big things in life. Maybe it's a, it's, it's a failed marriage, or maybe it's no marriage at all. Maybe it's feeling lonely. Maybe, maybe it's that, that there was a, a loss of a loved one, or a loss of a child, or a child that was rebellious. That God could. I mean, he could, right? He could just snap his fingers and make everything different, and yet he just doesn't. And yet we're called to trust. 
Will you trust a God who's failed to measure up to your expectations? That's the question for us. For me, when I'm, when I'm faced with that moment, and again, we're all faced with it more than we even maybe want to admit. But for me, when I'm faced with that moment, I remember three things. And I just, I cling to these three things. And number one it's, is God is in control. Number two, God loves me. And number three, God's faithful to me. See, when I remember and I cling to these things, my feelings may not change right away. I still may feel disappointed. I may feel like, like uh, I still have feelings of anger towards him, but I can approach him. I can come to him and I can remember the fact that I'm loved by him. What that means is that everything that's happening is happening for a purpose. That's what Romans 8.28 says, right? That God causes all things to work together for our good. The all things include the good, includes the bad, includes the ugly, and it includes the stuff that gives us the ugly cry. All things God's using for a purpose, and that purpose is for our good. And because he loves me, I know what I'm going through might be difficult. It's not what I would have planned. It's not what I wanted. But I can trust God to use that, which leads us into the next one because he's in control, which means he's made the choice to not prevent this. He's made the choice knowing how he was going to redeem it for my good, for his glory. And, and I don't understand all the reasons. I mean, sometimes when I look back on it, I can say, oh, God, thank you. I see what you've done here. I see how you're able to, to work it out. And sometimes I see it in hindsight. But, you know, many times I don't. Many times I just, I'm just left with questions, unanswered questions. But I trust that God is going to do something powerful in me and those around me through this circumstance. And then finally, that he's faithful, which means that he hasn't and ever will turn his back on me. He won't abandon me. That, that he will always, always work things out for my good. Again, it doesn't matter how many times I've blown it, how many times I haven't trusted him. He will continue. He'll continue to work for me. Because he and I are now one. We're united together. We're one together in Jesus Christ. And so I can trust him now. I can trust him. Surrender that blocked goal. Surrender the outcome that I, I don't like or don't want, knowing that God's going to work for my good because he loves me, because he's in control, and he's faithful to me. And when I cling to that, my soul begins to, to experience his peace. Sometimes it's an immediate flood. Other times it's a slow trickle. But my soul begins to be filled up with his peace because I'm trusting him the one who loves me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for, we thank you for the truth that we're allowed to be angry and that you're not angry about our anger and that there are ways that we can express that anger, but also that anger is showing us things that we're, we're struggling with, be it our shame or be it with block goals. 
And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be willing to trust you in all of it. That we would, we would know in an experience, in a powerful way, how loved we are by you. Because I know it's bigger than we can imagine. But we get to just jump into the, the ocean of your love and throw ourselves with abandon into the waves of it. Knowing that you're in control and knowing that you'll never turn your back on us, you'll never reject us, and you'll work everything out for our good. In your name we pray. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.